the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. I read this story during the week. Uh, in many ways, it's a story that could be told in many places around the world, uh, although it has some particular um, aspects to it. It's about a centre run in the United States and New Jersey, run by some Roman Catholic sisters who uh, ran a centre that welcomed the children of um, families who were homeless, who had no address. And one, of, one day they took uh, the children who came to the centre to the shore, to the beach. Um, and the reporter who told the story said they um, went out to the beach and they ran up the big sand dunes and they got to the top and it was, wow! The sea was just so big. They'd never seen the ocean before in their lives. And I've heard similar stories about children here in New Zealand not ever having seen the sea which kind of boggles your mind, really. Uh, and then they ran down and uh, played in the sea. It was just amazing. And then they went off and had some lunch and um, back over the other side of the sand dunes. And after lunch, they ran back up the sand dunes to have another look at the sea. And one little boy was very enthusiastic, and he got up to the top before the others. And when he got to the top, he just shouted, Wow! It's still there! <laughs> So much had disappeared in his life that for him it was possible that the sea could disappear. And it was just this amazing thing that the sea was permanent. It was still there. We're going to reflect a bit about that story as we wander through today's sermon. Today is... Mother's Day. So, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. It's a, it's a day to remember the importance of mothers. And uh, one of the degrees I did, I have way too many degrees, but one of them I did was on education and human development. And uh, in doing that degree, I spent a lot of time reading about uh, John Bowlby's attachment theory. And uh, it's a pretty important theory. It talks about how in the first kind of two years of your life, an infant will form an important bond with usually a, but maybe more significant uh, adults. And nine times out of ten, more than nine times out of ten, that bond will be with their mother. And that attachment, that relationship, will shape much of the rest of their life. That attachment, that relationship, is like the ocean that is always there, that shapes that child forever. And so we give thanks for mothers because they have the potential to be the rock on which children base their lives. And they are that ocean for their children. So we applaud mothers and we give thanks for them. But we also need to remember on this Mother's Day that for many people, Mother's Day is not a day of rejoicing, it's a day of sadness and regret and anger, and it um, raises all kinds of feelings. And so, while some of us might give thanks for our mothers uh, and give thanks for Mother's Day, for many other people, it's not a great day of thanksgiving. So let us give thanks, but also grow in our compassion and in our realisation that 
today brings a whole mixed bag for people. Today is also the day after Ascension. So we have here an African image of the Ascension. Uh, Ascension was on Thursday, Ascension Day, 40 days after Easter. It's hard to believe it was 40 days ago, really. And so we um, changed the Acts reading and had the Acts reading from uh, Thursday, which is Ascension Day and talks about the Ascension. The Ascension is uh, something that I've uh, for a long time struggled with. I really thought it was a bit of a distraction. Um, thought it was best if we didn't do it, really. Uh, wondered why Luke included it. The others don't, really. Um, but Luke is the one that kind of gives a big push for the Ascension. But I have been persuaded over recent years that it is important and that we do need to take notice of it. But to do so, we need to uh, kind of have a good grasp of the Incarnation. Um, our theology around Jesus needs to be pretty solid before we can really um, take on board what the Ascension might offer us. And the Incarnation is all about Jesus being fully human and fully divine. Which is uh, a big concept, it's one that we struggle to get our heads around, and the first major split in the church was around this very thing, Jesus being fully human and fully divine. And so in the Ascension, the fully human and fully divine, crucified and risen Christ ascends into God. And I use that word ascends pretty loosely. Because, while well, we usually think about that as Jesus floating up into heaven far, far away. And there are lots of images like this or similar. As if somehow heaven is way up there, far, far away, and Jesus kind of floats up and disappears and goes off to God in heaven, who is a long, long way away. And I think that's the bit about the ascension that is what uh, has the potential to kind of confuse us, um, to mislead us. I think the ascension is much more around, I mean, Luke talks about Jesus ascending and disappearing into the cloud. Well, if it's a cloudy day, you don't have to go far to disappear into the cloud. I mean, there are days uh, living over at the Mount where it's just really thick and soupy. This kind of sea fog sneaks in there. On a day like that, Jesus would not have had to go far to disappear into that cloud. It's much more like Jesus just dematerializes. He's no longer here as we see him. So, back to what is happening here. The Incarnation is about the Word of God coming among us as one of us. Coming among us as Jesus who is fully human and fully divine. Coming among us to remind us, as St. Augustine of Hippo said, to remind us of who we are, that we are made in the image of God. Not a replica of God, not a statue of God, but made with the essence of God within us. The love and the wholeness of God in each one of us and in all of us. And in the life and death of Jesus, who is fully divine and fully human, 
We are shown what living as people made in the image of God looks like. When we live lives filled with the compassion and generosity and love and wholeness that Jesus lived, then we are living as people made in the image of God. The ascension is the return journey back into the heart of God. When the word of God, who is fully human, returns to the Godhead. Now I think we slide over that. But it's a very important part of the ascension. When the word of God, who is fully human, one of us, returns to the Godhead. In the ascension... The fully human, the fully divine Christ eternally returns to the Godhead to engage in the life and love and worship that is at the heart of God. And in the ascension, we are welcomed into that life. We, who are human, enter into the life of God, the life and worship and love of God at the heart of God. Or to put that another way, eternal life is not when we die and go to heaven. Eternal life is when we realise that we are living in God now. In the heart of God, now. Heaven is here, around us. And the ascension is not about God being somewhere else and Jesus going off to be with God. It's actually about God being here, like the ocean, permanent, not going anywhere, here all the time. And we are welcomed into the heart of God, into the life of God, who is here and now. Today is also the last Sunday of Easter. The great 50 days of Easter, one-seventh of the year, will end on Saturday. And on Sunday we will begin a new season. Well, in fact, we have Pentecost Sunday and then we move into ordinary time. So what does all this ascension stuff have to say about the resurrection of Jesus, which is what this 50 days has been about? We are given this opportunity to reflect on the resurrection of Jesus and what it means for us. Well, as we ponder that question this morning, we are given in our Gospel reading Jesus' great high priestly prayer in John. In fact, we are given the very end of it. These three chapters of John, which were inserted later, they're not part of the original Gospel. You can tell that because last week's reading, if we'd carried on for another verse, Jesus says, So let us get up and go. And they all stand up and then he prays this three prayer for three chapters so and the very next verses if we carried on reading is where they go to so this was inserted later and it's a pretty dense prayer a lot of the time we kind of read through it and our brains hurt but the piece we heard today was described by one of the commentators a woman a mother as not as Jesus' great high priestly prayer, which she thought was a pretty male description of the whole thing. She said, this reads to me as a mother much more like Jesus' motherly prayer. She said, 
This is the kind of prayer, not quite the words that I would use, but I pray when my children go out. And she said, it certainly reminds me of the kind of prayers that the woman, this is an American uh, writer, the woman I work with in some of the places, black women who have black sons, when they go out with their mates at night, uh, that they pray. Because, it's, you know, in some places, you just have to be black and in a group to be suddenly, the police think you're a bit suspicious and who knows what's going to happen. It certainly resonates with me when I think about, well, times, for example, when, you know, your child gets their driver's licence and goes off on their own for the first time or when they drive off to Auckland on their own, as our youngest one has been doing. And every time she leaves on a Monday or a Tuesday, it's a little bit, ooh, and then on Thursday she comes back. There's a kind of sigh of relief when she gets there or home. In essence, what this prayer was saying that we heard today was, God, look after them. Look after them. And this prayer is not just for those who are gathered here and there in that room at the Last Supper. This prayer is for all those who will believe because of the words of those disciples. And that includes us here today. In a sense, this is kind of pushing the metaphor a little bit, but that prayer is like the ocean, constantly being prayed for all people who have believed because of that word. There, in the background, being prayed for us. And in it, Jesus says, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, and you have met the Father in me, and the Father is in you through me, and you are in the Father through me which is pretty much what the Ascension was about, really, but kind of said in a theological and dense way. The Ascension just acted it out, made it a little bit more obvious. So what then does the resurrection have to say to us? I think it says to us that God is like the ocean, utterly dependable, not going anywhere. And no matter how hard the sand dunes are that we have to clamber up, And no matter what suddenly disappears from our lives, God is there and is dependable and is to be trusted. God is absolutely committed to us and to this world. So one last thing I'd like to say about the ascension and the resurrection Most of the pictures that you find on the internet, well, they're not like this one. This is Salvador Dali, so he's always a little bit different. Um, So the traditional ones have lots of disciples gathered around and Jesus disappearing up into the clouds and everyone's looking up into the air. But there are a few like this one by Albrecht Dürer, and I'm absolutely positive that I said that name wrong. Uh, And uh, and in many ways, it's it's a traditional... Uh, picture with the disciples looking up, but if you look carefully at it, Jesus leaves behind his footprints. And there aren't many pictures that show this, but there are one or two. In fact, one of them I found, one of the Marys, and I wasn't sure if it was 
the mother of Jesus or Mary Magdalene, was down looking at the footprints while all the disciples were looking up in the air. And in fact, it was another commentator that put me onto this. The disciples are busy looking up. And the angel says to them, Men of Galilee, why are you looking up into the clouds for Jesus? He is not there. And then they're told to go back to Jerusalem. But I think it might have been more helpful if Luke had recorded something like this. Men of Galilee, why are you looking up in the clouds? Look, there are his footprints. He has left them all over the place. Go and find them. Go and be his footsteps. Join in. Join in being the footsteps of Christ. So I think the final thing I'd want to say about resurrection and ascension is that we are to be the footprints. So what do those footprints look like? Well, last year on Mother's Day, I talked about the origins of American Mother's Day and the work of a woman called Anna Jarvis, who, following her mother's death in 1905, uh, worked very hard to make Mother's Day an official holiday. And then after it became official an official holiday, uh, within about two or three years, then worked very hard to make it not an official holiday because suddenly companies like Hallmark and department stores had made it all about selling and buying stuff which was not what she had wanted. And so she was pretty disillusioned with the whole thing and she spent the rest of her life trying to get it off the United States calendar. What I didn't do was do any research into who Anna Jarvis's mother was. And the story of her mother is extraordinary and is probably more important than Anna Jarvis herself. So her mother was Anne Reeves Jarvis of West Virginia. And before the Civil War in America, she used to run... Mother's Day work clubs. And these clubs would be run so that mothers could come and they could learn to look after their children. And after the Civil War, being in West Virginia, these work clubs became really important places where mothers whose husbands and sons had fought either for the Confederacy or for the Union could come together and be reconciled. And then, out of that, she began to run Mother's Day, what were they called? Mother's Friendship Days. Where these mothers would then invite their sons and husbands to come together to do things together so that they could be reconciled, so that they could rebuild their communities. What an extraordinary woman. That's the origins, one of the origins of Mother's Day. There are several stories like that, and this is another one. Julia Ward Howe, abolitionist and suffragette. During the Civil War, she went and spent some time with some Union soldiers, and out of that she wrote the Battle Hymn for the Republic, which was, um, we all know. In in 1870, she wrote the Mother's Day Proclamation a call to action that asked mothers to unite in promoting world peace. That essentially said, too many of our sons have gone to war and died and have been changed forever. 
We need to create a world where our sons do not need to do that. And in 1873, she campaigned for the creation of a Mother's Peace Day to be celebrated on June the 2nd every year, a day when mothers would gather and would create events that would help create a world without war, a world built on peace. In our own country, we have similar stories. I was intrigued to to learn last year that the White Poppy campaign is not a new thing run by peace campaigners. It was actually developed in the early 1920s by mothers and wives of those who had gone gone to fight in the First World War, who were disappointed in the direction that Anzac Day was going and wanted to remind people of the huge cost they, their families and this country had paid in that war and wanted to create a world where war was no longer needed. It was the war that was to end all wars. They said, let's make that a reality. The white poppy was then the work of mothers. So, what do the footsteps of Christ look like this Mother's Day? What do we do as the supporters of mothers working for peace? I leave you to think about how we are invited to be the footprints of the ascended, the resurrected and ascended Christ in today's world on this Mother's Day.